0: So we're going to read from Hebrews And it's chapter 4 verses 12 to 16 um, You'll find it in your pure Bibles, your own Bible And it's, it's not always a book that we, we read from very much in the church But I think it's a, a book I would commend to you to go home and read the whole book Explore what it's saying, meditate on its words uh, Because it's a very powerful message And it challenges and shakes us to the very foundation. But what it says here, For the word of God is living and active, amen? Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. And laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, amen, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. wow God's good, isn't he? You know this is a word given to the Hebrews is the writer of it. We don't know who the writer is of it, but the right of Paul. And they he's speaking to a community who have an understanding of the Forget to switch on. There we go. So, um, this is a writer who is writing to a community who have got a knowledge of the scriptures. They have a knowledge of the history of Israel. They know what it means to believe and follow God. Yet, here, this is a word of challenge to them a challenge to them because they're facing opposition, they're facing difficulty, they're facing um, challenges in their life to follow Christ. Because throughout the whole New Testament, we see it's a challenge to follow Christ, isn't it? It's countercultural. You're persecuted for following Christ. You're persecuted for believing in Him. And these New Testament Christians... They may have left Judaism. They may have left other religions, but they laid down their lives for Christ. And because they believed in trust, trusted Christ and they said Jesus is Lord, we're going to meet together. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to fellowship. We're going to seek God. We're going to see the Holy Spirit come down on us as a people. They had their possessions taken away from them, their homes taken away from them. They were beaten. They were stoned. They were killed. They were persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you would understand in those circumstances that you'd be tempted to fall away, wouldn't you? If I said to you, when you leave this church and you, you say, I've been in church and I profess Jesus Christ as Lord, and, but you know what, when you leave there there'll be people ready to stone you, take your home away from you, take your car away from you, to, to beat you, to humiliate you. Would you be tempted to deny Christ? Would you be tempted to fall away? And we may say no, but that's a hard thing, isn't it? That's a hard choice. That's a hard decision. What do we do in the face of these, this opposition? What do we do in the face of this challenge? And the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people to say, stand firm. Don't give up in the face of opposition. Stand firm. Whatever they do to you, trust in Jesus. Because He is your goal, and Heaven is your destination, and the rest of God. To be in the peace of God, to be in the joy of God, to be in the presence of God, to reign with God and to be sitting at the right hand of God with Jesus is our goal and destination where we reign, where we rule, where we have authority, where we have our power from. It's in Jesus and our reigning with him and being with him in the heavenly places. Amen. It's not here in the moment in the hardship and the difficulties and the struggles and the opposition and the beatings and people taking your possessions away, and people, people abusing you because you believe in Jesus Christ. That's not our reality. Our reality is in heaven. Our authority is in heaven. Our power is in heaven. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying something of reality in the surface, isn't it? We're saying, the surf, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will be done your values, your ethics, who you are, be done in this earth as it is like in heaven because that's where we live and that's where we reign because in Christ we've been lifted up into those heavenly places and that is our domain and that is where we live and that is our home. And we come under the rule and the command of Jesus Christ. So he reminds them, um, before the text we read there, he reminds them of their ancestors, he reminds them of who went before them. And he said, Remember your ancestors who were in Egypt? And they were taken out of um, they were taken out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. And they were heading towards the promised land. And they arrived in the desert. And Moses led them out of Egypt. And there were many miracles. God went before them. By a cloud by day and a flame by night, they saw the mighty miracles of God. But when they arrived in the desert and the hardships and the difficulties of what it was to get the promised land that God had promised them, to the rest that God had ordained for them, they were in the desert thinking, why are we in a desert? Where's Moses gone? (laughs) We're looking to these people in the promised land and they're giants and they've got fortified cities. How are we ever going to defeat them? And rather than have faith in God and trust in the God who led them out of captivity and slavery in Egypt would lead them into the land of promise and rest and authority and reigning and and, and 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 having a country of their own, they get caught up in fear and disbelief. And that fear and disbelief, that's fine. We're all in places where we have fear and disbelief, aren't we? I mean, but that Probably sometimes we spend a life more in fear and disbelief than we do it. <laughs> doing confidence of our faith, marching forward. Yes, Jesus, we're declaring, we're taking victory. We should be doing that, but sometimes fear and disbelief comes in. We wonder what can God do in the situation of our world and our hearts and our families and our situations and the troubles that we go through every day in our life. We get fear and disbelief comes in, but fear and disbelief disbelief leads to a place called disobedience. Yeah? And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They got in a place of fear and disbelief which led to disobedience to God, where they stood before God and said, they know better than God. And God said, this generation is not going into the promised land. This generation is not going into the place of rest. They're going to die in this desert place because of disbelief. Because of disobedience to God and not believing what God could do for them in this place. And I don't know about you, but maybe sometimes I know many times where I've been disobedient to God. (laughs) And it's not a nice place to be because when fear and doubt come in and you become disobedient, you know you've missed an opportunity for God. You've missed an opportunity to share God's word. You've missed an opportunity to pray for someone. You've missed an opportunity to talk about the gospel. You've missed an opportunity to bring your kids up in a a sound, in faith, in power and share God. You've lost these opportunities. And when you're disobedient to God, you feel the spirit of God slipping away from you, don't you? You feel the presence of God moving away from you. Whereas when you're obedient to God and say, Okay, God, that's challenging. That's difficult. But I'm going to do it, God, because you've asked me to be obedient. What happens? The Spirit of God comes upon you in a powerful way and you experience God in a more powerful way. And you know there's obstacles and challenges. You know there's giants. You know there's difficulties. But with the Spirit of God upon you, with God's love upon you, with God's power upon you, you can achieve it. You can go into that place of promise. Amen. I want to be in the place of promise, don't you? I'm tired of being disobedient. I'm tired of of trying to figure it out for myself. I'm tired of not trusting in God's Spirit. I'm saying, God, I'm dependent on Your Spirit now. Speak to me, witness to me. I want to be in that place of promise. You know, the Israelites—you know—part of their fear and doubt came over cabbage. <laughs> they were hungry. <laughs> They in the desert, and they were thinking, oh my goodness, we, in, in Egypt we had all that food we used to eat, and we quite enjoyed it, and we had herbs, and we had cabbage, and we had this. At this, this desert place we've got manna, and what else, whatever manna is, that's what it's called, what is it? Look at that stuff, what is it, to eat? You know, somebody, you, somebody gave you stuff that you had to look at and say, what is it? You probably wouldn't want to eat it, would you? <laughs> They had quail, they had other things that God provided, but they were hungry. They said, "At least in Egypt we had homes and shelter. We have been slaves; we may have been in captivity, but surely it's going to be better in this desert." <laughs> and so they started to think about the past, and, they, and actually they got to the point where they'd rather be slaves and in captivity again, and beaten and oppressed. Rather than living in freedom, and opportunity, and choice to follow God's will in their life, they would rather go to slavery and captivity. And that's a choice for us as Christians, isn't it? We can choose to, you know, dream of the past, dream of what we had before, or we can stand in that difficult place where God puts us, and we can say, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to honor God in this place, and I'm going to move forward that desert place, because I know through the desert and the difficulty there's a promised land of milk and honey ahead. And we can dream of the past. We can dream of what we had before. We can say, oh, well, it's, you know, God's not blessed me the way I thought God would bless me. God's not done the things in my life that I thought he would do. I tell you, he's got his promises for you. And I tell you, through your life, you've done things for God already you don't even imagine. And when you stand before in heaven, he's going to pour out that role. And he's going to say, that conversation, that prayer, that moment, that opportunity when you were obedient to me, transformed and changed lives and communities and people forever. Amen every time you live every time you open your mouth every time you breathe every time you pray is an opportunity for God and His glory and witness and every time you put forth that word of God every time you plant those seeds every time you witness to Him you are building the kingdom so do it breathe speak love serve Do it for Him in His glory and do not give up because the promise is coming, the land of milk and honey is coming. We stand in the authority of Jesus Christ who has authority over all heaven and all earth and all powers and principalities. That's the power we stand. And when we declare the words of God, it has power over all principalities and power. We have the power to declare over everything in this world and defeat it in the name of Jesus because our Savior has the power and authority and stands in heaven and declares, I have the victory. That's what you have. Even a prayer can break the kingdom of darkness. Prayer can set people free because God sees your obedience and he moves in that and he breaks the chains and he sets people free. Amen. That's why it's so important. Every aspect, every word, every breath we do is so important. You know, they had fear of enemies. They had to comfort them. They preferred being slaves than God's chosen people. And it's easy for us as a church as well. We can become conformed to this world. It could be hard to follow Jesus in a secular world. We have too many problems in our lives, too many issues to follow Jesus. Together. I want to be obedient, but I've got so many problems. I need to sort them out first, and then I'll be obedient. Maybe if you're obedient to God first, your problems might get sorted out. <laughs> We're drawn to the past. We have a comfortable secular life, and a countercultural lifestyle is really hard, especially in the society we live today. And my belief that the Bible and the Kingdom of God is countercultural, and when we actually come like the culture, that tells us there's something wrong, <laughs> because we're called to be countercultural, to be different, to be the people of God, to be the people of the Kingdom, to declare God's word and glory, even though the people don't like it. And the world can't accept it. Because the word of God didn't come to bring you peace. It came to cut through you like a double-edged sword. To make you stand naked before the word of God. To see who you are. To be witness to and for God to say, I see into your very soul and being. I know who you are. But I've done everything for you through Jesus Christ. I'm giving you my grace and my mercy. But I'm calling you to turn from your sin. I'm calling you to repentance and to turn all the way from what's past and to embrace the kingdom of God and to walk towards my holiness and my grace and my forgiveness, which means you take up your cross and you follow me. You deny yourself. You speak God's word even if people will persecute you for it. You declare God's goodness. You stand on the revelation of God found in the word of God. And you proclaim the revelation of God that we have through Jesus Christ. And that's uncomfortable for the world. That's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> that's uncomfortable Christians. We're all wrestling with that, aren't we? It's difficult. But if it was comfortable, we know it's wrong, don't we? It's got to be uncomfortable. It's got to be soul-shaking. It's got to break us. It's got to bring to point of, a point where we got on our knees and say, God, in this mess... In these circumstances, in this world, in my life, I submit to you and surrender to you and your word and follow you. And that means that may have to deny myself. That's a hard word in the Western world, deny yourself. (laughs) We're told to get everything for ourselves because that will be about self-fulfillment. Everything's about self-fulfillment. Well, I can tell you something about following God. You may not feel self-fulfilled but you will be fulfilled you will be whole, you will be healed you will be restored, you will be forgiven but it will cost you it's costly it's not cheap what Christ did on the cross wasn't cheap it cost God his own very one son is that cheap? it cost him everything yet we won't give him everything we choose to deny him parts of ourselves of who we are up to follow Christ and his word and his purpose and his kingdom. Romans 12.2 says do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about Cheap grace, in costly grace. He says cheap grace means grace sold in the market like cheap jacks. wears. the sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury, from which the sh- from which she showers blessings with generous hands, without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price grace without cost cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance baptism without church discipline communion without confession absolution without personal confession cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cost without the cross grace without jesus christ living and incarnate whereas costly grace grace is the kingly rule of christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which his disciples leave his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. And so the people of Israel, they were stuck there in a moment and they wanted to go to God's rest, to God's promised land. And God says, I'm going to take you to my rest. And I like what David Wilkerson talks about rest. He talks about rest as that place of authority, that place where you rule, that place where you reign with God. That's rest is to be in God's presence. And what does God do? He rules. And when you're with God, what happens? You you rule. You come under the authority of God. You bring God's kingdom and God's authority and power into the world. It's a bit like um, um always better to get a, a other guy's name, it's Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt, isn't it? At the moment they're having debates and discussions and going around the country how they're going to, to how they're going to manage Brexit. Well, God bless them. <laughs> Don't think anybody can manage Brexit, isn't it? No matter what your politics are. But they're going around the country and they're fighting to be the Prime Minister of this country, aren't they? They're arguing, debating who's the best person and at the moment, they're striving, aren't they? They're trying to get there. What are they trying to get to? They're trying to get to be the prime minister. And whoever wins that competition, whether it's Germany Hunt or Boris Johnson, once they've won that, they're at that place of rest. Because they will be an authority. They'll be in charge. They'll be the prime minister. They'll have the, they'll have the rule over the economy, over armed forces, over all the things that are there. They will be an authority. Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt can rest in the midst of the chaos but at least they're ruling in authority and in charge and so when we enter into God's rest and that's what God said, he wants to take his people into his rest we go to that place where we reign with God and rule with God and bring his kingdom and his reality into the world and he said even though Joshua it says in Hebrews even though Joshua took the people into the promised land and they finally achieved rest where they had their own country where they ruled where God was present where God's kingdom was manifest and real amongst the people of Israel they rested because they had their own land their own place to worship God where God's rule was manifest and real so it says in Hebrews so there is more rest for us There's another rest. There's a greater rest, a a more rest for us. And if rest is about us being as a church who have authority and power, where does that rest lie? It rests in Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who stands at the right hand of God and reigns forever. And Ephesians says that we were lifted up in Jesus Christ and we stand at the right hand of God in his authority. So people, we come and we come with the authority of heaven. We have Jesus Christ has been lifted up to the right hand of God, and we have been lifted up to the right hand of God, and we stand there beside God, and we say, "God, your will be done," because we are peop- your people. Our place of where we re- where we where we live, our realm of identity and purpose and values and hope and dreams is in heaven, because that's where we've been raised up. We've been raised up from this world and its values, and we've been raised up. To stand at the right hand of God and live under His authority and His rule and His reign. And we are ambassadors for that kingdom, amen? And so we confront our lives, ourselves, we confront our world, because we stand in the authority of being raised up to the right hand of God to say that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And we have been raised up with Him. And so when we speak and we declare, we declare in words that have authority over all principalities and powers. All authorities, all powers, all things. That's amazing, isn't it? Yet we don't recognize as Christians the authority that we stand in in Jesus Christ. But that's because we have to be exposed to the word of God. And it says it says here in um, Hebrews um, Chapter 4, um, verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joint from arrows, is able to judge thoughts and attentions of the heart. In Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that the word of God is Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus Christ through, through the incarnation and through his word that we have before us that God spoke to us through his prophets that God spoke to us through Israel but now God speaks to us through Jesus Christ Amen and the Holy Spirit and the word of God reveals to us who Jesus Christ was and the demands that places upon our lives if we are to follow him and to serve his glory and purpose And so we're exposed to this living word, to the experience of who Jesus Christ is through the Word of God that we have in the Bible, but also revelation of the Holy Spirit, which challenges, and it doesn't make us comfortable. The Word of God says, the Word of God doesn't come and make you comfortable. It shakes you up. It messes you up. It breaks you down. It exposes you. It comes through your very body. When you read this Word, this Word of God, if you're reading the Word of God, and it's not exposing you, it's not hurting you, it's not making you feel upset, <laughs> If it's not one to make you change your life, then you're not reading it properly. You need to pray, Spirit of God, reveal this word to me that it may transform me and shape me, that it may cut through me like a double-edged sword and expose me to who you are so that my life will be transformed and changed forever, that I cannot be the same as you expose me to this word, as you expose me to who Jesus Christ is. Cut through me and expose me. And said that They It cuts through us. John Wesley talks about um, when this verse he says it's like in the temple when they do a sacrifice and you have an animal before you and they cut that animal down from neck to, ch- to bottom that animal is exposed, everything exposed, you see marrow, you see bone you see joints, you see everything Everything's fully exposed it's the same thing when we go to Brazil, when you go to the markets they always seem to have this obsession with cutting pigs in half <laughs> And I'm going to have, to have a, I'm going to have a cheese sandwich, you know. And the best cheese sandwiches just happen to be in this marketplace where they cut pigs in half and stick them up a glass in front of you so you can see the insides of the pig. Like this is going to make you buy a pig. You know, it really not going to make me buy a pig. You know. But you see there, it's exposed. You can see everything. That pig, you can see everything. You know what a pig looks like from its guts to its... It's exposed, you know. I, I still eat my sandwich. <laughs> I still manage to go up there and get my Mistel Kench, as they call it. It's like a cheese and ham sandwich. Delicious. It just happens to be that marketplace is the best place for that cheese and ham sandwich. But I'm exposed to that pig as I go through there. And I don't want to see that pig. I don't want to see its guts. I don't want to see its joints. I don't want to see its marrows. But it's exposed to me and I can see every part of it and I go, oh, my goodness me, these animals are horrible, aren't they? <laughs> my goodness me, if somebody cut us in half, what would we look like to somebody? We were put a glass and exposed but this is what the Word of God is saying. With God's Word, we're so exposed. It sees everything, even of who we are. Every part of our being is exposed to God. Whoa. Were you prepared for that? But that's where it says we're exposed to God. The Word of God piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The Word of God judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Amen. It should challenge the thoughts and intentions of our heart because our thoughts and intentions of our heart are not always the best or within God's plan, are they? I know mine's not. Maybe yours are. I'll talk to you later if it is. (laughs) And so I stand before God as a sinner. And there's nothing worse than having to come and speak to you today as a sinner. But that's what I am exposed to God from bone to marrow to man and self, and I'm a sinner, but I'm glad you know me with Christ in me and not Christ not in me. Because hopefully you see a better version of me of who I am before God and serving God and worshiping God and allowing my life to be exposed and transformed before God. But I'm a sinner and I speak to you before you as a sinner to other sinners. Amen? And so we're exposed by this word of God and it makes us realize that we're sinners that before God there's nothing or anything that we could do to make ourselves better. But it doesn't mean that God leaves us that way. (laughs) Amen. Basically I call you to holiness. I call you to take up your cross and follow me. I call you to sacrifice. I call you to a life of commitment to my word. I call you to lay down your burdens. I call you to lay down your sins and to follow me. And he calls us to repent, which is moving from our own direction. We all want to go in our own direction, don't we? I want to go in my own direction. I've got so many things in that direction I want to do and go to. But, that, that, but that's not what we're called to do. We're called to repent of our sins and turn around And that means turning around, that means leaving behind that which is sinful, that is wrong, which is against God's will. And saying, that no longer has a part in my life. And I'm turning to Jesus Christ and I'm following Him. And I'm going to Him. We don't do it perfect, but I'm walking towards His righteousness. I'm walking towards His holiness. And as I'm exposed to God, as I'm exposed to the Spirit, I cannot be the same. Anybody who says they're a Christian and they're still the same, you need to meet the living Christ. You need to have the Holy Spirit come on your life and be exposed to it. Because when you meet the living God and you, you cannot be the same, you are drawn to His holiness. And as you're drawn to His holiness, He purifies you. He works within your life and calls what's called sanctification to give up your sin and to follow Him and become more like Christ and shaped like Christ which is sacrificial, which is hard, which is difficult, which, thank God, he said, that we have a great high priest in heaven called Jesus Christ who, who came onto earth, who lived and died and sacrificed his life, but understands that we're weak human beings and we can't do it by ourselves. And he says, he said, I'm in heaven interceding for you because I can relate to you. I'm, I've been where you are. I'm your great high priest, but I'm not judging you from perfection. I'm judging because I understand that you are weak, that you struggle, that you find it difficult. We don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with a weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tested. As we are yet without sin, amen. Praise God for that. He broke the chains of sin. He broke the curse of death. He opened the gates of heaven. And what we have to do is to turn away from our sin, repent, and walk into God's holiness. It's all been done for us. The way is open, but we need to turn from our sin and walk into that life in Jesus Christ. We need to die to ourselves, take up our cross. All these things mean sacrifice. This means transformation. This means change. This means not being the same. This means becoming holy. But praise God, we have a great high priest who has been tested in every way that we have. Yet it's without sin. A great high priest who knows our weaknesses. So let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. Amen. Not when we die, but now let's approach the throne of grace with boldness. Who's bold enough to approach the throne of grace? Amen. Braver than me. (laughs) But we're able to approach that bold of grace and take our place in heaven now. We can take our place in heaven and we can be raised up with our great high priest and stand at the right hand of God and declare God's authority and power over the world because he knows our weaknesses. He knows who we are, but he still takes us into his presence if we are willing to repent and turn away from our sin, to die to ourselves and to live live for Christ and be like Christ. So that we may receive mercy, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The only time that we, when we need help, when we need mercy, we need to turn to the throne of heaven, don't we? We need to enter those heavenly places in prayer, in declaration. And we need to say to God, we stand in boldness before your throne. And we declare over our world is broken. We declare over our world which is hopeless. We declare over our world which is weakness. And we pray for strength, for recovery, for hope, for transformation in our world. Because God, you have given us authority in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to declare that and change it. So, church, it's time to start declaring God's kingdom in this world, isn't it? It's time to start declaring God's purpose. It's that time to start declaring God's victory. It's that the time to tell it. This is, God's, this is God's world. This is God's earth. And one way or another, He's come back to reclaim it and shape it and make it His own. And we can be in God's size or we can be against Him. And who will you stand with? Will you stand in the heavenly places with Jesus? Or will you stand in darkness, in death, in destruction, which only leads to one place? I challenge you to stand with boldness and take your place in heaven beside Jesus and with his authority over all the earth declare that over every situation through every weakness through every circumstance through every time of your need approach that throne of grace and say Father in your name we have the victory and we can overcome Amen Praise God. God is good. I'm sweating too much now. I need to stop. It's getting hot. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to enter that place of rest. And Father, we know that place of rest is your presence where you rule, where your authority reigns. And Lord, we know where we can have peace when you know that you reign over our lives. That you reign over our church. That you reign over our community. That you reign over our world. Lord, help us to live by your kingdom values. Help us to live by be exposed to the living word of God, which, which, def- which splits us in half like a double-edged sword, which exposes us to ourselves, to you, and to the world and the people that are before us. Yet, Lord, we stand firm that even though we see ourselves as sinners and weak and at times hopeless and unable to obey you or follow you or to repent, But we have a high priest in heaven who knows our weaknesses and calls us on to victory, calls us on to new life, calls us on to take up that cross, calls us on to deny ourselves. And we take that victory cry. We hear that call and we follow you. We follow Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We take up that cross. We take up that challenge. And we approach that throne with boldness and declare this is God's world, this is God's reign, this is God's purpose. And we declare the words of victory over every situation in this church, every life, over our community and over our world. God's reign come in Jesus now. Victory come in Jesus now. Brokenness be gone in Jesus' name. Families restored in Jesus' name Hope restored in Jesus' name. Addiction broken in Jesus' name. Prostitution ended in Jesus' name. Hunger ended in Jesus' name. Hope in Jesus' name. And victory in Jesus' name. And life transformed in Jesus' name. That's what we declare. Standing with the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. Standing at the right hand of God. We declare that the victory is His in Jesus' name. Amen.